You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. And this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up on the show today, we kick off Pride Month with a preview of the We Belong Breakfast. Also on the show, you know summer is just around the corner when the city of Vaughan kicks off their concerts in the park. The mayor joins us with the lineup of performers. But we begin at Veterans Affairs. June 6th will mark the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Joining us on the feed is Robert Loken, National Manager, Honors, Awards, and Commemoration from Veterans Affairs. Thank you for your time, Robert. My pleasure. Hoping we can begin with a bit of a history lesson for those who have not yet studied or learned the story of one of Canada's greatest military accomplishments. Can we start there? Of course. Uh, so, as you mentioned, this year marks the 75th anniversary of uh, D-Day and the Battle of Normandy. Um, and in itself, that date is really important to, to Canada and to the world over, uh, overall because it really marked the start of the end of the Second World War. Uh, it's, it's the day that the Allies, the, the Brits, the Americans, the Canadians, stormed beaches on the uh, northern coasts of France and, uh, and essentially took a beachhead from the, uh, from the Germans, uh, allowing the troops from the Allied countries to wage the uh, ground war in Europe itself and start that, uh, that road to freedom. Now, remember, you know, back in my day, in Canadian history class, because that line, beginning of the end of the war, that was the, the line that really stuck with me, and I guess so many of us. Why do you think it's so important to commemorate this time in this battle? Well, as it would be for many of the battles and, and, and that, that the Canadians and others have fought in, it, it's important for us not to forget the sacrifice that, that all of our predecessors uh, took in order to give us the freedoms that we have today. Um, it's, it's easy for us to forget uh, about some of the freedoms. We, we start taking them for granted, but somebody uh, many years before even I was around fought for the fact that I can do what I do today. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether it's the freedoms of, of the job that I have or, or the freedom to do whatever I want as far as my, my summer vacation and things like that. So I'm, I'm able to do what I can do and what I want to do because these people fought for my, uh, for my liberties. Um, when we look at, at society today, it's, it's easy for us to watch the news. Everything happens in these 30-second clips. Uh, and, you know, we, we tend not to look back a whole lot on a time when the world was in a much darker place than it is even today. And how many World War II veterans are still with us in Canada? So we don't have the, the, a specific number related to World War II. The way we, when we track our, our veteran population, um, we have an amalgamation of the, the, the Second World War and our Korean War veterans. So the Korean War occurred not long after the Second World War. So there's 48,300 of those veterans. Um, keeping in mind that the number, unfortunately, uh, changes quite substantially year over year, most of these veterans will be in their mid to late 90s. Can you share with us what events are planned to mark the 75th anniversary of D-Day? 
Sure. So there, there are many events planned across the country. Some are planned by the local uh, Royal Canadian Legion branch or the or the regiment. Uh, but here at Veterans Affairs Canada, we've we've done a number of events already leading up to June 6th. So starting in uh, in March, uh, we started holding um, departure ceremonies at via rail stations across the country. We did a total of 17, um, and essentially we were. Uh, using a pair of military boots to represent the soldiers who went overseas, we would be putting those, board, uh, putting those boots on the, on the train uh, so that they could do the trip uh, from their hometown to Halifax. Uh, and it really represented the trip that a lot of our soldiers did uh, heading over to Halifax before then shipping to the front. So those, those have already occurred. So we've been doing that already for a little over two months. The events that are still come to come, there are there's still a number of those as well. We have a delegation that is going overseas to Juneau, and all of next week we'll be participating in a number of commemorative events in different communities that the Canadians helped um, free from the uh, from the Germans at the time. Uh, so we are taking 37 veterans across for commemorative events there, with obviously the largest event on June 6th itself, marking the anniversary of D-Day. In Canada, we're taking a group of seven veterans uh, from the D-Day Battle of Normandy period, and we will be holding the national commemorative ceremonies in Halifax, uh, which is the city from where uh, they departed, most of our veterans departed to uh, head to the front for, the, uh, for their, their time in Europe. So we're, we're really trying to bring it back somewhat to the days, that the, to the places and the days that they would remember. Um, these are people who took the train across the country, went to Halifax, were there for a period of time before shipping overseas. So we're really concentrating on trying to somewhat bring it back to their locations that they would be remembering at the time. And how can our listeners get more information on these events? So there's a couple of options for information. We do uh, we have worked with partners. So for Halifax, as an example, Parks Canada will be hosting us at the Halifax Citadel. So on their website, they have information. But on the Veterans Affairs website, so that's veterans.gc.ca, we have all of our information uh, in relation to all of the events happening across the country. Third parties have posted information. We have our own information. There is a uh, there is a specific box within that uh, website that is called D-Day Battle of Normandy, and there. There you'll be able to find all the information related to the events and ceremonies being held to honor those veterans. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. We continue our remembrance of D-Day, and we are honored to be joined by the General, Jim Lang, with The Conversation. June 6th will forever in memoriam be known as D-Day, the day that changed the course of World War II, and Canada played a major role in the largest military operation of the war with the invasion of Normandy. To talk more about it, General Richard Romer, who won the Distinguished Flying Cross during World War II, flew over 100 missions, particularly in his North American Mustang as a reconnaissance pilot, and was front and center at a front row seat of D-Day. General Romer, how are you, sir? I'm in really good shape. I did 135 missions, not just over 100. My so there you are. I've <laughs> got to keep you up. 
facts. No, thank you, General. Yes, absolutely. As a son of an NCO, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, movies have tried to recreate the, the mass spectacle of the ships and planes and men who rolled into the beaches of Normandy and Benny Sumer and Omaha Beach as a Mustang pilot flying reconnaissance. What was the view like from the seat of your plane seeing that unfold that day in June 6, 1944? Well, it was a very close view. Uh, we, my number one and I, Jack Taylor, he, he and his Mustang and I and mine, we left uh, the shores of England just before dawn on uh, the 6th of June. Our mission was to go across and do a reconnaissance over Caen to see what uh, German movement might be there, tanks or whatever. And so that was what we were to do. Uh, we w went out uh, across the shoreline at about 3,000 feet, and there was uh, the English Channel is filled with ships and a lot of uh, wind and whitecap uh, waves. It was quite a sight to see all this movement across the across the channel. Uh, and so what we saw when we went to, uh, toward uh, Normandy was the approaching shoreline of uh, what we now know as Juno Beach, and we discovered there was a wall of cloud uh, up from the uh, beach area, uh, so we had to go under the wall of cloud in order to get through the Caen. And in so doing, we got down to about 500 feet. Uh, we did our reconnaissance over Caen and then came back up the Orne River, saw the bridge at uh, Pegasus that was being uh, attacked by the British at that point with their waters, and back to the, uh, to the beach, Juno and Sword. And we did a protected patrol uh, along the beach from the Orne West to the end of the Canadian sector. And we watched the landing craft coming in, uh, and they were under heavy fire from the uh, German defenders. Uh, in the meantime, we were flying through shells coming in from the, uh, from the Navy uh, battleships and destroyers and everything sitting out, sitting offshore, trying to hit targets on the two beaches that we were over. So that's the, what we saw was a, a vast armada never before assembled in history. And we were in a position to see the whole thing from a bird's eye point of view up until the point where I looked at my gas gauges and they said zero. <laughs> and you, you had to get back to base. <laughs> had to get back to base. You see, flying number two, uh, I had to follow my leader, and so I used more petrol, more gasoline than he did. So uh, I was transfixed by what I was seeing below me, and all the flak being thrown at us as well. And so when I did see the gauge said zero, so I said to Jack Taylor, time to get back. So off we went. Uh, I cut back my fuel consumption as far as I could. We just barely made it to a little airport called Thorny Island, a Royal Air Force base uh, at the south end of England. And as I was landing, my engine quit. So I made it back. That was the main thing. But it was a fantastic sight, the whole of the operation from leaving England, going down under the cloud uh, at the beach, and then back again from Caen and up and down to Juno and Sword. 
it's, it was an, an incredible moment, and we were so pumped up, we weren't afraid of anything. So that was the main issue for us young people. Well, as dangerous as it might have been in the cockpit of your Mustang with the flak coming at you, were you aware at all looking at the troops and the landing craft onto the beach, how da- even more dangerous it was for the young men running onto the beach to their positions trying to take out the Germans? Well, it was quite apparent. what we, uh, Where we were was just before they came in and landed on the beach. We watched the uh, uh, regiments with their landing craft approaching. They were about a half a mile out when we were there, and they were already under fire. Uh, so we uh, merely was, we were there to protect them in the event that the Luftwaffe turned up and tried to uh, shoot at them from the air. And uh, that didn't happen, so uh, what we were uh, about to see uh, was not the landing actually taking place but just the precursor of it, they were just coming in, and they didn't know what they were going to be facing fundamentally ahead of them. They were all extremely brave people, no question about that. And when they did land and the front ends of the craft went down, uh, a lot of them died almost immediately. It was just a a brutal kind of uh, landing attack, but it had to be done that way. Speaking with the esteemed General Richard Romer, a, fly, a flyer of 135 missions in World War II in his Mustang, fought in D-Day through Normandy, Belgium, and Holland, and is the senior Canadian veteran of uh, all those battles as we uh, commemorate 75 years of the D-Day invasion. Um, I, I think often about that day and the role of Canadians, and sometimes we as Canadians, how we look at it. But when you are in France, when you're in the Normandy region as a veteran, what is the reception of the people there still to this day for what the Canadians did that day in 1944, General? Well, uh, I'm there quite often because I am the honorary lieutenant general of the Canadian forces today. And I wear the uniform when I'm uh, in uh, military uh, operations, and I will be, of course, next week. But uh, the people of uh, France in that sector uh, are still very grateful to us to, for liberating them and having uh, taken part in that essential part of the essence of France, being free and uh, able. The French did not have uh, uh, any divisions, any army people that I'm aware of uh, in the actual landing day on on June the 6th. They came out a little later on an armored division, but uh, they were very significant in terms of the civilians who did everything they could to uh, harm the German forces when our forces were making their uh, entry into the area. General, thank you doesn't seem like it's enough for myself and all the listeners uh, for what you and the veterans did that day in 1944. I'm just thrilled to death that um, that you are still on this planet, so willing and able to to share your story with everyone, to know what we did as a nation 75 years ago, along with our British and American allies. We changed the course of history, and no one can ever take that away from us. No question about that, and I will be there again uh, on June the 6th. Uh, in uh, Normandy at uh, the location of the Juno Beach Center, and I will be speaking with the Prime Minister and one or two others uh, to the big crowd that will be in attendance. So that's my role. So 
Thank you for the opportunity of having the words with you. General, thank you, and uh, we are lucky to have men like you in our country. All the best, and enjoy your trip to France. All right. Thank you very much indeed. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Our next stop on the feed takes us to York Regional Police and their very special event next week. To fill in the blanks, Susan Gibbs, she is co-chair of the Pride Network at YRP. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks for having me, Tina. We're very excited about the event we have coming up next week. Okay, so let's end the suspense. What do you have going on? We have our We Belong Pride Breakfast, so we can kick off Pride Month in the most colorful way possible here at YRP and with our partners um, from across York Region. So what exactly is the Pride Breakfast? What, What happens during that time? So what we do is we open our doors. It's a fundraising breakfast, and the money is going towards the AIDS Committee of York Region, Peace Flag York Region, York Pride, and York Region Family Services Rainbow Network. And what we do is we open our doors. We encourage the community, our community partners, uh, local businesses to show their support for Pride Month by purchasing tickets. We have a fresh hot pancake station. We have eggs, bacon, sausages. We have inspiring speeches. We have a few surprise performances in store, so it's really a great way to kick off Pride Month, and then we cap it all with our flag-raising ceremony out front. And what time does the breakfast start? Well, it is early. It's at 7.30 in the morning, and we have things wrapped up by 10 so people can get on their way, Um, but we figure with a nice hot breakfast, it lures people out of their beds a little bit earlier. And before we get too far ahead of ourselves, where exactly is the event taking place? Give us the address. It's yeah, it's all taking place at our headquarters, 47 Don Hillock Drive in Aurora, and we have our beautiful atrium that we host a lot of community events at. So what's the history of this event? Where did it start and why did it start? So actually, this is only our second time of having this. Uh, we've traditionally done our uh, flag-raising ceremony and just a coffee and co-workers event, but this event was brought forward to us by our partners from the AIDS Committee of York Region. Um, Peel Committee uh, of York Region hosted a breakfast two years ago, and then our partners from the York Region AIDS Committee brought it forward to us thinking it was such a great idea, and it was amazing. We hosted our first one last year, and we got such great feedback. There was no way we could go back to just our traditional flag raising. We had to do the breakfast again this year. And why do you think it's so important to continue this um, this breakfast? Uh, well, we really need to make sure that we are promoting that we are a safe and inclusive and welcoming community for everybody um, in the L- 2S LGBTQ community. Um, we want people to know uh, our focus this year is on allies and the importance of allies. Um, we need people to make sure they stand up and have their voice heard, stop conversations if they're inappropriate, and this breakfast allows us an opportunity to help educate, promote, uh, just one safe, inclusive community for everybody in New York Region. Now, you said allies. Why, why that emphasis? So last year we focused a little bit on the history of um, Pride in New York Region. Uh, so this year we wanted to really play up on the strength of allies because it takes everyone to make a safe community. We can't do it on our own. Um, the 2S LGBTQ plus community is going to support their causes, but we need everyone to support their cause. It doesn't matter if you identify as a member of the community, you still need to be supportive of that community, and that's what we really want to hit home um, for everybody at the breakfast.
Now, Susan, when I introduced you, I said you're co-chair of the Pride Network at YRP. What's that? So it started uh, under Chief Jolliffe, uh, promoted this internal support network. And while we did start as an internal support network, it's a resource for members. We come together. There's just over 30 of us on this network. And um, we have meetings. It started as internal, so support for each other if members needed an outreach. We started doing some promotions, doing a breakfast or a coffee and co-worker event internally. And we've ended up partnering with all these amazing community organizations. So we've expanded, and it's great the partnerships that we've been able to form um, from this network. Um, we've also got the 2S LGBTQ Community Consultative Roundtable, where we bring together um, the sc- members from the school board, 360 Kids, and all of our partners in the breakfast as well to keep that dialogue open so we're always hearing back from the community. So let's repeat one more time for our listeners um, the specifics about the We Belong Breakfast next week and then where they can get more information. Well, our We Belong Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. It is next Tuesday, June 4th at 7.30 a.m. at 47 Don Hillock Drive in Aurora. And all the information you need can be found at yrp.ca slash webelong. Susan, thanks so much for your work and for being part of the feed. Thank you so much. 105 is always a great partner for us, so we're happy that we can uh, promote this great event together. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Over to the York Region District School Board and their plans to kick off Pride Month. Christy Laverty with the story. Okay, so today joining us is Donna Ford from York Region District School Board, and you're uh, the principal of inclusive, inclusive Schools and Community Services. Thanks for joining us today, Donna. I'm happy to chat with you this afternoon, Christine. So today we're talking Pride, and you're joining us today because you've got uh, something coming up for York Region Schools um, that's happening on June 6th that we wanted to talk about. So tell us a little bit about what's happening on June 6th. So June the 6th is a date that we recognize as a school district um, as being uh, part of our Pride Month activities. And um, we celebrate Pride Month. We uh, recognize this time as a way to commemorate, um, you know, one of the many social diversities or or community members um, that uh, participate in our schools. And so you've got... you're going to be raising the pride flag. And talk to us a little bit about why it's so important to have a ceremony like this and celebrate this diversity in in schools. So as a school district, we we believe um, that equity and inclusive education is, um, you know, foundational to to excellence and to how well our students are doing um, while they're uh, while they're at school. Uh, we also recognize that, that you know our students represent a variety of, of social diversities, and um, as a way to support you know all that is the dignity of our students to understand the importance of valuing and respecting the social diversity of our students, we consider that. That raising uh, the pride flag is symbolic of those of those values that are held with York Region District School Board. And the flag ceremony is happening as as we mentioned, June sixth, which is Thursday, uh, from nine thirty to ten. Is that something that 
anyone in the in the region uh, can uh, attend if if they wanted to come out and, and join that celebration. It's really important to not just uh, focus on the schools, but schools are really key to our overall community and community building. So is this something that, you know, if we all wanted to come out and, and, and join and celebrate, we could do? So I want to just say, uh, to your point, absolutely, this is about a community event. Um, this is absolutely about uh, understanding, you know, who is in our community, you know, how we're understanding, uh, you know, families and relationships, uh, and that many of the students who are coming to our schools are having a variety of experiences in terms of, you know, what their what their family systems are like. Uh, in our schools, we are providing um, activities and um, resources so that the students are getting a sense of the diversity within our 2S LGBTQ communities um, and we're acknowledging, you know, how those diversities can intersect. So that's through, you know, lessons that are um, being provided through the teachers in their classrooms. Uh, also, we have uh, through our department, the Inclusive School and Community Services, um, resources that um, and uh, connections to community activities that are taking place that uh, schools can access for Pride Month. Some of our resources through PFLAG York Region, through My House York Region, and even through um, 360 Kids keep our schools connected with uh, with the various ways in which we're acknowledging what's taking place with respect to Pride and also we're looking at uh, June 15th where we're having York Pride Fest is another uh, opportunity where families can come out and get together and you know uh, show their support for the for um, uh, the members of our 2S LGBTQ plus community by you know coming out of their homes and and joining in the, the parade in the streets. So just to sort of wrap up, if um, our listeners wanted to uh, find a bit more information, you know, find particularly about some of the events that are happening in June, or maybe just to find some resources for their own particular families, um, students, uh, people in their own uh, lives looking to connect, find out a bit more and really learn about diversity in our communities. Where can they go? For, uh, certainly, uh, they can contact um, their local schools. Um, that is, uh, you know, often a first stop for understanding what are we learning about diversity in our schools. York Region District School Board is unique in that we have a department, the Inclusive School and Community Services Department, that uh, we spend most of our time uh, providing uh, resources, providing training, providing uh, learning opportunities so that uh, educators, um, uh, principals and vice principals, uh, even those who are working in our non-academic environments are having an understanding of uh, the principles that um, that are found in uh, in Ontario's equity and inclusivity education strategy, which really is the foundation and guides very much uh, the work that uh, we do as an inclusive school and community services um, unit. Thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us and looking forward to all of the amazing events that are coming up for Pride Month. So thank you so much, Donna. Thank you. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region. Our next stop, the City of Vaughan and concerts in the park. 
Music Coordinator Christina Lavecchia with the lineup. Concerts in the Park is a summer tradition in the city of Vaughan, and joining us to highlight this year's lineup is Vaughan Mayor Maurizio Bevilacqua. Mr. Mayor, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to talking about this great event that we hold every summer to give an opportunity to the community to get together and, and enjoy the, the spirit of the season. When did these concerts begin? Uh, many, many years ago, we uh, were actually uh, uh, celebrating our uh, 25th anniversary. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's an award-winning uh, annual series. We've received multiple awards uh, from Festival and Events Ontario, uh, and uh, it's it's gone really really well. So thousands upon thousands of people participate. It's uh, it's a great way to celebrate uh, the summer and to give uh, people a chance to to get together with their friends, family, and uh, neighbors uh, and listening to. Uh, fantastic music from great artists. So, wow, 25 years. What is it about these series that make it so successful? Well, the, I guess the the most important thing is that people really have a great time and uh, we're attracting top talent and we're also having the community come together in, uh, in increasing numbers. Every year, the numbers get bigger and bigger and it's become a part and parcel of uh, the summer tradition here in the city of Vaughan. It's uh, it's actually quite incredible to see the excitement that these, uh, that these events uh, generate uh, throughout our city, and people really look forward to them. It's great to see uh, grandparents and grandchildren together and uh, the community really uh, supporting uh, this uh, these events. And uh, the feedback we've received from them over the years uh, has really propelled us to uh, always improve the program, and as a result, the City of Vaughan is winning awards in the province of Ontario uh, in the area of a festival and event, and it speaks to the great dynamic and vibrant community that the city of Vaughan is, where people like to spend time together, where people enjoy music, uh, where people really uh, are embracing uh, the excellent quality of life that is provided and the experience that is provided here in the city. So when do they actually kick off? Uh, Vaughan, as you know, we're moving to Transit Square with uh, Honeymoon Suite. It's uh, on Wednesday, uh, June 5th. Uh, this is uh, a new location for us mm-hmm. because, of course, you know, we never had a transit square before. As a result of the subway, uh, we now have uh, this transit square, and it's uh, really getting a, an urban uh, an urban feel. The concert begins at 7.30 p.m. It's 100 New uh, Park Place, Transit Square, Pond Metropolitan Center. This is, as I said earlier, the first time that we're doing it uh, in our downtown core. June 19th, Matt Cage, tribute to Elvis, Sonoma Heights Community Park. June 26th, Neon Nostalgic, Retro Rock Review, Chancellor District Park. Uh, on July 10th, Simply Queen, a tribute to Queen, uh, Mackenzie Glen District Park. July 17th, Benny and the Jet, tribute to Elton John at the Outdoor Amphitheater at North uh, Thornhill Community Center. And July 31st, the Caverners, tribute to the Beatles. So June 5th, June 19th, June 26th, July 10th, July 17th and July 31st. Mark your calendar and enjoy fantastic music in the city of Vaughan. And those are all at 7:30. That's right, and uh, and they're they're great shows. Is there a fee for the concerts at all? No, it's all free. Just is uh, just a way of really celebrating our community and uh, bring bring your friends and neighbors. It's uh, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. And you know, it's uh, if you need some more information, please visit vaughn.ca/events. And follow us on social media using the hashtag Vaughn Concerts 2019. Perfect. Thank you for joining us on the feed, Mr. Mayor. Thank you so much. And thanks for the great job you do getting our information out there to the public so we can enjoy this great city together. Thank you.
This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com, for a replay. Next, details about a plan to boost tourism in King Vaughan. Afwaba with the story. Well, some great news came out uh, not too long ago that is going to be uh, boding quite well for residents across York Region. Joining me to chat today to let us know more about the announcement is the MPP for King Vaughan, Stephen Lecce. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Alpha, for the opportunity. All right. So let's uh, let the listeners know. Let's first talk about uh, the great news that came out regarding tourism for King Vaughan. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's a recognition that our government realizes that tourism is a key economic driver in the province. Uh, it helps support growth, jobs, and really it helps local communities uh, and small businesses thrive. And so we recognize that. We realize uh, that over 390,000 jobs across the province, tens of thousands in York region, um, are you know direct recipients of a strong tourism sector. And so we have built on that. We want to see more people employed, more jobs, more economic growth, more small business growth. That's why we announced uh, millions of dollars, over uh, $4 million, sorry, over $13 million that will support over 250 festivals and events right across the province as another $4 million in funding will be allocated for big events. And so we're really proud of that. We're, we're putting money where our mouth is when it comes to supporting tourism. And in King Vaughan, we have two initiatives, one at Wonderland and one that is put on by the Canadian Salsa Festival, both of which are going to help encourage more people to uh, visit the community, spend money in the community. We're providing a $25,000 grant at the Canadian Salsa Festival to support uh, the Turkey Fiesta Ontario initiative in the fall, uh, and that's going to expect it to have hundreds and hundreds of, of, of uh, participants supporting uh, dance and cultural activities. And at Winterfest um, in Wonderland, Wonderland is actually going to create an annual uh, tourist component where they're trying to encourage people to, partic- to partake in, their, in their, the use of their space in the winter as well. And it would be called Winterfest, which makes a lot of sense, a $100,000 contribution. That initiative alone, we expect both of them will have a return on investment of about $21 for every $1 we invest. That's a good ROI when it comes to spending your tax dollars, hard-earned tax dollars. We're leveraging the private sector. We're, we're utilizing their strengths to help uh, grow uh, jobs in the province of Ontario, but particularly in communities like Vaughan and Maple and Kleinberg and right across the region of York. So, you know, important announcements. They are putting. They are going to help uh, grow the economy. We think it's a good news story for both participants who enjoy salsa or enjoy activities in the winter with the kids, but also uh, for those that care deeply about uh, the resilience of their local businesses. It's a win-win for all of us. So not just the two major festivals that you just mentioned off the top that is going to be happening uh, not too far from now, and as well as one in the winter time, um, and that's of course going to significantly help uh, York Region residents and uh, just see that the the funds are going to be put towards uh, local things that are happening in the community. So just talk to me a little bit more about how this, of course, is going to benefit York Region in the long run. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's all about helping to encourage jobs and growth within a community. And so if we could provide an enabling investment, you know, relatively, you know, an enabling initial investment off the top to help get them these organizations uh, get their foot in the ground, help give them the tools they need to succeed, and ultimately ensure that there's a long-term competitive presence, uh, we feel very positively that these investments are going to help um, improve the quality of life of folks who live in their communities and want to partake in activities in their communities, and it's a very good thing just from a, a community perspective. But I think economically, perhaps most importantly, 
uh, we're going to be return, we're going to get a very strong return on that investment. For us, it's all about in the grand scheme of our broader economic plan. It's about creating jobs. It's about returning money back to the pockets of people through lower taxes, and ultimately about investing in the priorities of, of Ontarians. And for us, we think a strong economy, strong communities. Uh, and robust small businesses are just so foundational to our prosperity as a province and as a region. And in York Region, we're so blessed. We have such amazing talent of, of artisans, of, uh, people in dance and music, ethnocultural communities. We really are this brilliant mosaic of diversity and coexistence. And so we're trying to harness that by getting people to come out more to their local festivals, support the local economy, spend money, and ultimately create the jobs that our young people need. And so I know that this uh, is still on the uh, tourism spectrum right now, and I know that this funding has uh, is going to be helping uh, a community in York Region quite significantly, but we cannot, of course, um, forget about, I know that there was cuts earlier this month um, to other tourism funding regarding other municipalities. What is um, maybe your message to them um, for, for those who have maybe just received cuts, and, and they're also trying to wonder um, how they can move forward with uh, community events that they know um, was going to support the community. Um, how do you address that? Yeah, well, it's a fair question. Look, at the end of the day, let's not forget where we came from. We got elected last June, just about a year ago, uh, with a $15 billion deficit and the largest debt in the world when it comes to any province or state globally. This is the legacy under the former Liberal government, and the fact is those numbers are, I think, alarming. And so for all of us, particularly as myself as a new Progressive Conservative member, I want to make sure that we return to balance but protect the services that matter to people, the foundational services, health and education, things that are so consequential to the lives of families in York Region. And so, look, we can't go along and spend along like the former government. We can't just continue on a pathway where our young people are paying the price for intergenerational debt. I find it morally reprehensible that one generation passes on debt to the next one because they can't get their act together. So my message to those organizations that have seen that reduction is to continue to work with us in good faith because our aim as we return to balance is to make those investments in those festivals and in those programs that are important to communities. And we're still doing so much when it comes to the tourism sector, when it comes to the health sector. I mean, in my riding, we're building the, one of the first net new hospitals in Ontario in decades, the Mackenzie Health Hospital. We're expanding to 427. We're building subways into York region. The second time we're doing that historic uh, expansion of the Young Spadina uh, line into uh, Markham and Richmond Hill. These are positive steps for the people of York to get them moving, to cut taxes, to eliminate the carbon tax in Ontario. These are all positive things, and I feel very strongly that you know, uh, working in partnership with our communities and municipalities and families that we're going to return to balance, protect the services that matter, and ultimately have some amazing festivals uh, for the folks in King Mon, really right across the region. All right, and let me just pivot a little bit from tourism to transit. I know you also made an announcement regarding uh, new parking spaces at the Maple Go Station. Yes, very excited. Look, the biggest issue at the Maple Go Station and Rutherford Go Station and King City Go Station, pretty much every Go Station, there's not enough parking. You know, the, the, the former government had built these sub these go stations with inadequate parking, and it's a big frustration. People shouldn't have to get anxiety to go park to take public transit. We should provide incentives to using public transit. So the Metrolinx had built a temporary parking lot that added 180 parking spots uh, at the Maple Go station, and I fought hard, and I met with the leadership of Metrolinx to say, why is that temporary? Let's make that a permanent spot. We need that capacity, and young and people right across the community have begged 
municipal, federal, provincial governments pass and presence to fix this parking situation. So I intervened, and within a matter of a month, we were able to make that commitment long-term. It'll be there uh, for good. And then, look, it's not good in itself, or, you know, save the world, but it's a positive step in the right direction, and it's going to build on more transit investments in King Vaughan specifically that I think are going to really help when it comes to parking, when it comes to services, when it comes to frequency, and the user and the end user experience will be much more positive. So I'm really pleased with this investment, and I know it's going to make a difference for folks in Maple who use Go. For us, it's all about reducing gridlock, and uh, that's why we're uploading the TTC. It's why we're expanding subways. It's why we're expanding uh, Go stations in Ontario and particularly in your region. All right, great news there. Okay, so from tourism to transit, of course, if uh, constituents or um, any resident wants to maybe get in touch with you, ask you questions, or maybe address their concerns, where can they go? Absolutely. Stephen.Lecce at pc.ola.org is my email, my website. I have tons of social media uh, handles. Uh, we respond as quickly as we can, but as I say, it's a, it's a good step in the right direction, good news for the people of York region, and I'm always open to hearing from them. Great. Stephen, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Now, just before we go on the feed, earlier this week, MP Dr. Jane Philpott from Markham-Stouffville announced that she would be running as an independent in this fall's federal election. She was one of two MPs sitting as independents after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau removed them from caucus and the Liberal Party as a result of the SNC-Lavalin affair. Here's Dr. Philpott talking about her decision to run again. Should I run again or not? And as I talked to people, I went door knocking and I hosted an open house and I, I asked everybody <laughs> that was interested for their advice and opinion. And the first thing people would say was, don't leave politics. We want you to stay. Uh, and then people would give a whole range of ideas of, you know, run for this party or that, run as an independent. Some people want, wanted me to move to provincial politics. So I heard uh, a lot of different views. Um, and I really explored them in some detail, particularly, you know, looking at the other parties. And I will, you know, be quite frank that I looked particularly at the Green Party. I have a lot of respect for Elizabeth May. I'm hugely concerned with climate change. And, I, you know, in some ways that could have been a great fit. But at the end of the day, I wasn't ready to jump back into another party after uh, everything <laughs> that I'd been through. And I wasn't uh, ready to, to uh, adopt uh, entirely and be ready to defend entirely a set of policies that I hadn't yet had time to familiarize myself with. So I thought the most honest and authentic thing I could do was to run as an independent, uh, to make sure that I continue to listen to the voices of the people in Markham Stouffville and uh, to uh, present myself uh, in that way and say that I'm going to be willing to collaborate uh, with good people uh, from whatever party if, uh, if the people of Markham Stovall give me that privilege. Now, Jane, what about in practical terms and the strength that belonging to a party brings? You, you're likely going to miss out on that part, right? Well, you know, there, there are pros and cons. And, of course, you know, the party structure makes sense. Uh, in many ways, it does provide uh, a lot of uh, support, both uh, during campaign times and uh, in government. And that's, in a, in a sense, the way things have run in Canada for some time now. But it also comes with its challenges in terms of uh, many people feeling that the party structure has become overly powerful, and particularly that political staffers have become overly powerful. And, 
and to a some extent have taken away the power from uh, the people, the constituents that we're supposed to represent. So, you know, I, it, it will be an uphill battle to get elected as an independent. I have, I'm not under any illusions about that. But it also gives uh, me the freedom to be able to say that the only people uh, that I will be answerable to will be the people of Markham Stouffville. Those are the, the people who will uh, give me their ideas, their advice, their direction on voting and prioritizing, etc. And uh, there are many ways that I'm going to be able to contribute. I've already been an independent MP now for two months. I have absolutely no shortage of opportunities to speak in the House of Commons, uh, to attend committee meetings, to push on files that are important to me. And I think we can demonstrate a new model of, of independence that actually uh, will be in some senses a, a re-energization of, of democracy uh, based right uh, in Markham Stovall. Now, I just want to pick up on a point that you made there that you said that you didn't have the freedom. Are you suggesting that MPs, no matter what party they belong to, do not have the freedom to vote and make the decisions the way they want or the way their constituents want them to vote? Uh, well, it depends. I don't want to make a blanket statement, but I can tell you for sure that every single vote, well, not every single vote, almost every single vote in the House of Commons, when you're a member of a party, uh, and you sit down at your desk in the House of Commons and there's a piece of paper there that says whether you are uh, in favor of the bill or opposed to the bill or motion, whatever it is. So there's a party direction as to how you should vote. Sometimes there are uh, what they call free votes. There aren't a lot of them. Uh, there have been some for sure, and um, members are free to then vote on the basis of their conscience or the, the feelings of their constituents. But there's a lot of pressure. I, I, I think uh, most uh, MPs would say, they won't say it while they're part of the party, but if you look, for example, to some of the studies that have been done by organizations like Samara, who put out a really great book called Tragedy in the Commons, they did exit interviews of members of parliament after they left uh, their their jobs as MPs and were f- a little more free to speak. And they spoke about the fact that uh, they were being told what to do and uh, being told how to vote. And uh, there's no question that depending on what the the matter at hand is that uh, members of parliament who vote against the direction of the the party or the prime minister's office um, do face um, certain forms of, um, I don't know, punishment sounds like too strong of a word, but they can have their privileges taken away, for example, if they vote against the government. For the entire conversation with MP Jane Philpott, listen to Inside the Region with Nirmala Armstrong. You can find that show on our website or listen live every Sunday morning at 11.30. And that's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed or have a story idea or community event, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.